You're listening to the Stage and Story podcast, a show about story, culture, and the Christian imagination. I'm your host, Dane Bundy, president of Stage and Story and secondary principal at Providence Academy in Johnson City, Tennessee. Well, Pastor Brandon and Chelsea, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks, Dane. Well, I'm excited to talk about a very important topic, the imagination. And the imagination is very important to stage and story. Our tagline is cultivating the Christian imagination. So I thought it would be nice to have an episode when we talk about what is an imagination, what is a Christian imagination. So guys, let's just go ahead and jump right in. I'm going to throw out a question. Here it is. What is the imagination and how might you define it? Well, I'll go first. (laughs) So when I think of imagination, just very simply, to me, it's conjuring images in the mind. Mm. Um, For example, if you were to ask me what I ate last night, I'm going to have a picture of my bowl of Brussels sprouts <laughs> in my head <laughs> and the texture and the color, all that, like that's going to, I'm going to see that in my mind while I describe it to you. So in a way, that's what imagination looks like. It's I, I'm conjuring an image in my head. Yeah. I think that's a helpful way to think about it. I think um, as I was thinking over um, this question, sometimes you know what something is. It's just hard to put it in a nice, succinct definition. Yes. And so I was trying to think, well, should I go through a list of what all it isn't? And I was like, nah. Um, and kind of what you just described, Brandon, is it's the kind of like a marriage of the abstract and the concrete, um, hmm. the universal and the particular. And I, I see it as maybe imitating the incarnation, um, that word becoming flesh, you know, those ideas, um, truth being put in a way that it can be transferred um, maybe to someone else. But that was kind of just a thought I had. <laughs> I don't know. Whoa, that's okay. That's really good. Oh, but you're going to have to walk me through it a little bit. So when you say it's the combination of universal and abstract, Walk me through what exactly you mean by that. And then I want to hear more what you said about the incarnation too. Yeah. So when Brandon was talking about what he ate for dinner last night, he has, you know, there's the thing itself, the Brussels sprouts that he had, right? And he has the idea of the Brussels sprouts, but then he um, creates that picture in his mind of the Brussels sprouts. And then he's going to go a step further and he's going to make that concrete for you um, and maybe describe the taste and this the, um, you know, all of the senses to engage your senses in order for you to be able to imagine, picture in your mind, the Brussels sprouts that he ate. So it's trying to make it as concrete as possible, um, you know, first for himself and then, and then for you. So, and I think, yeah, yeah relating to the incarnation, you know, that's um, truth um, with a capital T being Christ or the word with a capital W, um, you know, that was made flesh. Um, we see that in in John chapter one in that way. So I think um, I just tend to see the imagination as a very incarnational thing. Absolutely, and that was very helpful with the the universal and in, in particular. And and you also brought in that idea of the the senses. And let me ask you guys this: Do you think that the emotions play a role in the imagination? Because you have both talked about images, and you've talked about the senses, but let's talk to the idea of the emotions and what do they 
do in regards to the imagination? So we're talking about emotions and and not just senses. Yeah, we we can talk about we can talk about both. I'm just wondering. We, you've mentioned the idea of images as it's connected with the imagination, and I wonder what role the emotions play in the imagination. Yeah. Well, when you ask that, the first thing that comes to my mind is a type of prayer that St. Ignatius of Loyola taught. And uh, it's it's been called Ignatian contemplation. I like to call it imaginative prayer. And hmm. what you do with this is you take, it works best in a narrative passage of the Bible. So like a story in the Gospels, for example, uh, say Jesus on the boat with his disciples and when he calms the storm. And what St. Ignatius taught was that you enter into the story with all of your senses and feeling. So you're literally trying to be in the story, if not one of the characters themselves in the story. Mm -hmm. So to get there, you ask the basic sensory questions. What am I seeing? Um, What are the faces of the disciples while they're, you know, in terror? What am I hearing? What's the sound of their voices as they're crying out? What does the wind sound like? What am I feeling? The the water, the spray of the water on my face or the wind. And you just go down the list of all the senses. And that gets you into this place where you're beginning to feel the passage, not just mentally, but almost in a in a gut sort of way. And mm. that's one of the ways that he teaches prayer. And it's, it's, it's an amazingly powerful way of praying. So um, that's one of the ways that we can use senses and feelings in our imagination. Yeah, that's really neat. I remember a prof- uh, not a professor, but my college pastor um, trying to walk us through doing that once. Um, and yeah, I think that's neat that you mentioned that in light of the essay that Dane had us look at on the Christian imagination. Yeah, I like what she said um, about it, the imagination being to participate in the divine life. And I think you just described that for us um, very well. well. That's a good way to put it. I like that. And Brandon, when I think about your preaching, I think of it as very imaginative. And at the last Stage and Story conference, you opened up your talk with this elaborate, essentially, story in which you were walking us through the creation of the world. And you were not explicitly reading the text of Scripture, but you were helping us understand, helping us experience what that potentially could be like. And it was very imaginative. And it really, the best word that I could use for it was arrested us. It arrested our attention. And so would you say that that type of prayer has then directly affected your your preaching? That's a great question. It, it could be the other way around too, that I'm attracted mm. to that type of prayer because I enjoy seeing scripture in that sort of imaginative lens. But um, for sure, the to me, the gospel is, as others have put it, the gospel is an enchanted reality breaking into the disenchanted world. And mm. so I think I'm just drawn to anything that helps me see, I like the word use arrested. Like mm. I want the gospel story and I want everything in the Bible to arrest me. They're, these aren't just abstract ideas. These are things I really mm-hmm. want to feel. And um, 
I don't know. Yeah, that's my passion is just to get other people to feel the same excitement for the possibilities of this world we often diminish because simply because we can't see it. So would the two of you say that the imagination, just listening to you all, I'm kind of chewing on this myself, (laughs) um, Mm. that the imagination is a type of experience or that there's a relationship between the imagination and experience? I I would say yes. And as I was thinking through, and I want to hear what you think too, Brandon, but when I was thinking through this definition, a lot of it you guys already hit on. And I came up with the idea of like defining it like the imagination is the faculty that allows us to see in our mind and experience with our emotions, the past, present, and future. And then more specifically, not only what was and is, but what could be. So a big part of that faculty is alongside of those images are us experiencing those, really those images with our emotions. And and then all that experience of those images and then those emotions are somehow connected in time, whether in the past, present, and future. And we can talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. What what would you say, Brandon? Yeah, I didn't. I thought that was an excellent question. And now that it's asked, I would agree with you, Dane. It definitely seems like there's some sort of an experiential element to it. Can I add something to the whole um, imagination and feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca Solnit, in her in the opening of her excellent book, The Far Away Nearby, she writes about what a story is. And there's this one part where she talks about um, the impact of story and imagination and our ability to feel for others. Mm-hmm. And she, she puts it like this. She says, to love someone is to put yourself in their place. We say, which is to put yourself in their story or figure out how to tell yourself their story, which means that a place is a story and stories are geography and empathy is first of all, an act of imagination, a Mm. storyteller's art, and then a way of traveling from here to there. Oh, wow. That is that's really neat. <laughs> I was just, I don't know, it, it was creating a picture for me, um, just of um, what Atticus tries to tell Scout to do in To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. But then mm. also back to that word becomes flesh. I mean, that's exactly what Christ yeah. did. And I think when I think of the imagination of God, I tend to think more of just, you know, creation. I don't mm-hmm. think as much about, I know this is kind of counter to what I've been saying, but, you know, sometimes... It's just how you learn um, is through listening to other people. and But maybe the most imaginative thing he did was the incarnation. I don't know. Um, I'm not the theologian in the group. So that was, that was hmm. <laughs> what do you think, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, Dean says I'm imaginative. So I don't know that imagination and theology always get along. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Dean and I were actually talking right before this, that sometimes I tend to be too general and it seems like really spot on theology is super specific. And mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes you have to sacrifice one to have the other. Interesting. Well, and it's funny that you say that, Brandon, because you do speak in universals a lot, but 
But then when it often comes to your your preaching and, and such, you are dealing in the particulars, and that's how you make us feel. That's how you arrest us so well, is because you are telling us what you know, on the boat with Jesus in the Sea of Galilee, what those waves looked like and what the wind felt like. And so you're right. It's it's that mixture of the universal and the particular, but that that quote that you gave was so powerful, talking about empathy and, and love. And you think about and I knew you were gonna quote Atticus, Chelsea, because if you weren't going to, I was gonna I was gonna <laughs> prod you there. Because you, you 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 talk about this a lot and it's so important is that's what there I think Lewis talked about this as literature functions as windows that we mm-hmm. can look into other people we can put ourselves in their place and see the world from their eyes and the imagination is what allows us to do that uh, the imagination is what allows us to ask those such imp- those those vitally important questions like um what could have been or what might have been that's the same question i guess but um or what could be and the imagination as it relates to time is very important and interesting to me when you think about the imagination and the past like in history the imagination allows us to think about what did take place but then also take a, then also think about what could have taken place And then we move to the present. The imagination helps us think about what is, but what might have been. And then, of course, with the future, what probably will take place, but then what could be. And so you can see how, we can talk about this in more detail, but you can see how a generation that does not feed itself on the right types of images and experiences can really dwarf our imaginations. Uh, let's talk about what scripture says about uh, imagination. When when I first think about scripture and imagination, I you know, like you Chelsea, I immediately think of the creation, but I think what comes next in my mind is the the fall in particularly. And and this is why because when we think about the serpent coming up to Eve right in Genesis 3:4 she poses or Satan poses an imaginative question or statement um, to Eve and says you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened. And what he's done by that poison he has just sent her reeling into the future about, well, if God is lying to me about this, then what is he holding me back from? And so really her imagination had a very important central role in that decision to eat of the apple and rebel. I never thought of the fall of her imagination happening um, at that moment. That's interesting. I mean, I don't mean to like dissect the person too much, you know, all of her felt, but um, yeah. Dean, that, yeah, I agree with Chelsea. That's interesting because I hadn't thought of that as an imaginative problem, but it's very clear that, and maybe this goes back to sort of what we were saying earlier, how I kind of made a comment that I, uh, that sometimes you have to sacrifice the specifics to be imaginative, but I don't mean mm. that necessarily in a bad way because here mm. 
Satan doesn't tell them exactly all the good things that's going to happen to them. He leaves it very general and he allows Eve to fill in the specifics in her own mind. Ah, right? Interesting. Mm-hmm. If you have the freedom to do this, then she can fill in the blank. And so on the on the powerful side of imagination, it allows the hearer to make the specifics, whether for good or for bad. Mm. So yeah, if you well, were then- like God and were able to determine what's good and evil for yourself, what would you do? Well, who can't fill mm. in that blank? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, you know, I love that that picture of fill in the blank blank because Genesis 3:15 then God responds with his fill in the blank and he as you guys know 3:15 is that first glimpse that first seed of the gospel mm-hmm. and he says I'll put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and so that's the seed of the gospel there but when you think about the rest of scripture is imaginatively building off of that. So God is saying, I'm going to bring redemption. And then beginning with Abraham and the patriarchs, more flesh is given to that image. Redemption, ultimately climaxing in in Christ, is um, clarified. And so you think about the role that imagination then plays in prophecy. When the prophets then are coming and saying, uh, this is going to happen, and this is what redemption is going to look like. And so that's what 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 struck me as as God's response to the imaginative statement that um, that Satan gave to Eve. And there was, like you said, that fill in the blank, there was that that blank, but there was also this, okay, you need to now trust me. You need to trust me. And let this guide your imagination when you think of the future. Um, yeah, I, I like I like how it, the problem of the imagination continues when you get to Genesis six. It says um, Genesis six five that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Um, the uh, thoughts of his heart. Many of many have pointed out that that's basically the imagination. And so then how you're saying the rest of the Bible, we're seeing it with Eve and now we're seeing it with all of humanity at the flood. And you mentioned like the prophet coming in. We're basically casting a new imagination, like a new way to think about the seed of the woman conquering the seed of the serpent. Yeah. That's interesting that you point out in Genesis six, because it triggered my memory of a lot of the times when God is speaking through the prophets and he's talking about, um, especially what the children of Israel start doing with their children when they start sacrificing them and these horrible ideas that they've gotten into their head to, to Mm -hmm. live out. Um, He usually, you know, he'll say something like, um, you know, that that was something that I never commanded you to do, nor did it ever enter my mind. Um, And it shows how depraved that their imaginations have become. Not that it surprised God, but that it shows that, that deterioration of their imagination and that, that this is not something that is of the Lord. Um, and we see in Isaiah where he says, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, um, nor my ways, your ways. Um, I think in Isaiah, I don't want to, um, misquote or take out of context, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So, um, 
yeah, where, you know, and, and we're supposed to imitate, right, his imagination. We start to see that in the New Testament when Paul talks about our thoughts being taken captive and made obedient um, to Christ. Um, and we see how he uses his imagination um, through his life, through the parables. And Yeah, wow. that's really helpful. Go ahead, Pastor Brandon. Yeah, no, I was, was going to agree. It's really helpful, especially the I love how you point out like God saying it never even entered my mind. Just that's how perverted your imagination has gone. Mm, yeah. It's almost too, it's almost like uh, our imagination going in one way has completely uh, numbed our imagination to even consider an alternate possibility. And I think mm. that's part of the prison of sin is that now we're, we're only able to imagine how sin can be furthered. And we can't imagine our way out of that, which mm-hmm. is basically what Walter Brueggemann in his, um, at least in theological circles, his, his, he has a pretty famous book called The Prophetic Imagination. And he basically mm-hmm. does the prophet's job to smash that box, to, to, to rip it open and to energize people with new thoughts of, an, I think you said this, a new possibility. Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount? Like he says, you know, you've heard it said this, I'm saying this. He's really expanding their their moral imaginations there. That's right. Good, yeah. I mean, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. That just popped in. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. Which could be scary. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, I wonder if um, Paul does a, a similar thing when he's telling the Ephesians about all these wonderful things they have in Christ. And he's basically telling the whole history of redemption in a long 202 word sentence, the greatest sentence in the mm-hmm. world, by the way, sorry, all <laughs> but, <laughs> but then at the end of that though, he says, look guys, I'm praying for you and I want you to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if in a way Paul's kind of picking up on what Jesus was doing too is like, Look, I've given this to you, but this also has to sink into your imagination. Just simple yeah. information isn't going to get you to mm-hmm. press into an alternate reality. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you guys brought up the the effects of sin on our imagination. Obviously, sin doesn't remove our imagination, just like sin doesn't remove our will, but it does certainly taint it. It probably enslaves it. And I think about, I was reading in Jeremiah, and um, this was after Judah had been, I think the second time, brought into to Babylon, and there was some remnants of uh, the, the Jewish people in the land still, and there was a um, there's a, there was a ruler placed in there by Babylon, and God told them to stay there because he was going to take care of it, but then they ended up going to Egypt. And it's like their imaginations couldn't wrap itself or themselves around the idea that God could do better for them than what Egypt could provide. And then doesn't Egypt become this powerful symbol all throughout Scripture, which speaks of reliance on ourselves and not mm. God? Yeah. Well, I mean, and so you- that's what, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's just what I was just going to say. That's what that's what came to my mind when I think okay. of the imagination infiltrated by sin. Yeah, and needing well, to be cracked open. Yeah, mm. yeah, I liked that image of cracked open. But what you were saying, it reminded me of just going all the way back to what you and um, Pastor Brandon were discussing about Eve um, and how Satan planted that in her mind, and it was with a doubt. It was with a question of 
did God say this and getting her to question um, what God had, you know, um, presented to her and put into her mind to begin with, um, corrupting that. It almost makes so it we- sound like faith is it's like, okay, so doubt is imagination gone the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And when you have doubt, you don't have a lot of like landmarks to kind of hold knowledge to. So your mind can let fear kind of take it to all the craziest places. Um, almost like the people wanting to go to Egypt, right? We can't imagine anything else. So mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to imagine the worst. Um, but it makes you wonder, is faith then the positive form of imagination? Mm. Mm. Let's talk about the redeemed imagination or the Christian imagination. How, how might we define it? Yeah. So I think at first, you know, when people hear Christian imagination, um, think of it as maybe a Christian understanding of the imagination. We could talk about it in that way. But I think what we're really wanting to get at is the imagination as it should be, a redeemed. I like what you say about a redeemed imagination. or um, So one that functions as originally intended, I think of one that Mm. is complete. So we see... um, and I think we might all be on the same page about this. We see, you know, God's truth and goodness and beauty, um, even from things that are not created by Christians. And the reason for that is that we're made in the image of God and he gives us something called common grace, but it's not complete. So it's like this past um, spring, I took a philosophy course and was reading these guys, Plato and Aristotle. And there were so many times that they came so close and I was like, wow, they didn't even have Jesus yet. But Mm. you could still tell that they didn't have Jesus yet because it would fall short. Um, Mm -hmm. So with Aristotle's virtue ethics, there's a lot about it that logically makes sense, but I'm still going, okay, I still can't hit that 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 happy medium um, between you know these two extreme vices, I can't hit virtue. Um, so where does that leave me? And of course, you know that um, some of our church fathers would argue that that is a way of preparing our hearts possibly um, yes. for needing Christ. So I think with our imaginations, um, it's not that Christians have a com- hear me rightly, a completely different imagination than non-Christians, but it's one that has been made um, radically, yes, radically what it was supposed to be. Um, So, you know, because of the fall, as we've said, our imaginations become warped um, and we we trade in true imagination for a false one and everything's um, warped, our perceptions are off. But... um, then it's made like Christ. I mean, that's what it means to be redeemed, right? Is that it is continually being renewed and that it's complete. What do you think, Brandon? I, I really like how you brought in the imagination of the unsaved and not saying that Christian imagination is somehow better, but it's just kind of been put on the right tracks again. Because honestly, I feel like sometimes Christianity is a little behind in the imagination department. Um, hmm. So sometimes that's that's disappointing. And maybe we'll get into reasons for that later. But yeah, um, you mean Christianity itself or just like Christian culture? Culture. Yes. Christian culture. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I think Christianity should, I think, as you were kind of saying it, it's one of the most liberating forms of imagination because it kind of. I can't remember how you said it, but you used the word redeemed and it, it redeems, it puts it where it should have been. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that was yeah. some really helpful things you said there, Brandon, and I don't want to forget them because I know I will. But okay. you talked about the idea of kind of being disappointed by maybe the present state of the Christian imagination. And I totally get what you're trying to say. And then we think about Christians in the past who have really well led when it comes to the imagination. We think of Lewis and we think of Tolkien. And of course, Francis Schaeffer said it's the Christian's imagination that should fly beyond the stars or something inherently in Mm -hmm. the idea of the Christian and the imagination is the one that should be be expanded and in in leading this. But we failed to do that for whatever reason. And I don't want to, you know, point fingers. Why, Why do you think that is? Why do you think maybe we're falling behind in our Christian culture when it comes to the imagination when, well, my fear, and this is coming from my, you know, from my angle in the Christian culture, um, being a pastor, I fear that we have so, we've, we've squeezed truth so tightly because we're afraid of all of the errors that are out there that we've actually reduced truth to fact. And what we do is we tend to preach and proclaim the things that we call facts, and we've really narrowed the idea of truth. Now, the distinction, and what I mean by that is, like, truth to me, truth is a, it's a growing and living thing. It's almost like stories are, like how you can't, you can't tame truth. You can't put a leash around truth and say, I own it and I control it. Because the minute you do that, what you're actually doing is you're holding a fact. Facts are things that we define, they're things that we hold to. Um, and I think that we have, we've, we felt more comfortable holding a leash around fact rather than letting truth lead us to these larger, uni- we used earlier terms like universal concepts. Mm. And that's, that's my fear. I, I fear that we've, um, um, what's his name? I can't remember his name right now, but he he talked about how the Bible is a window that we look through, but mm-hmm. too often we spend our time looking at it, cleaning the specks off the window or looking at the cracks. But the whole time it just wants us to look through it to see a world that's larger and beyond us. Yeah. So, Brandon, do you think it's possibly that we're preoccupied with the universal and not comfortable enough with the particular? Um, yeah, I'm Does not that sure. stilt our imaginations? I, I, I'm not sure that it's that simple. I, oh, I, I think, want it to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it I thought sounds, we could solve it right here. <laughs> it sounds like you were talking a bit about, and, and correct me if I'm wrong in, in my understanding here, of maybe Christians buying into the reductionism that we see. Um, maybe mm-hmm. after the Enlightenment. And so we try to, kind of like the Pharisees did, um, boil truth down to this little nice checklist. And then, you know, Christ has come back in and remind us of the spirit of the law, not saying that the letter didn't matter, um, but really widening um, our understanding. Is that maybe a illustration or way of anything related to what you were saying? Or am I yeah, totally I think, off base? I think the Enlightenment totally nails it. You know, it, we, we I think... I think one of the problems is we're boiling down our faith. We're trying to compete with science, with Mm. uh, empiricism, you know, what you can 
mm-hmm. see improve and and maybe yeah. not even compete if I could jump in okay. we're we're trying to play by their rules like we're accepting yes. their presuppositions mm-hmm. that's better yeah yeah we're playing so, in their ballpark let me ask you guys this do you think that there can be a thing called a buddhist imagination or an atheist imagination initially i want to say yes um Mm -hmm. because if i'm to quote rankin wilburn he says believing the gospel means having your imagination taken captive and reshaped Mm -hmm. by a new story okay Mm -hmm. well if that's a christian imagination captive shaped by a new story Mm -hmm. i can imagine if i became a buddhist you could say something similar would happen to me I would just be shaped by the story of the Buddha, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to say yes, but then the part of me that wants to say no, there isn't other imaginations is that if we're looking at it from a Christian worldview, all the other imaginations are part of um to use metaphorical speech, it's part of the empire of darkness. All of that is part of the same source. So there really is only one alternative imagination. So it makes it Christian imagination and then the false imaginations, if you will. So mm. I'm going to land on a, uh, the coin's going to land on its edge there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it depends on, I think how you answer that question is going to depend on which part you're addressing. <laughs> okay, uh, good. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, one, one side of, of how I would answer what is a Christian imagination is it would be to say it's an imagination that's informed by and in submission to God's revelation mm. with Christ as its climax. So kind of connected with that quote that you gave about the gospel in the imagination, Brandon. Yeah. I was just going to add, I like the Christ as the climax part. I think that really rounds it off. You know, we both of you kind of use the concept of shaping and in the um, piece by Janine Langan, um, it says, you know, it's talking about a Christian ima- imagination and how it is different um, and that it seeks instead to give shape, not to an idol, um, but being revealing itself to us. And of course, looking at the word image within the word um, imagination. So that's all I was going to say. As we close this discussion, are there any things that you could add to how is Christians we can cultivate our imaginations for good? <laughs> I guess that's implied. Well, Dane, um, <laughs> definitely reading the Bible in a prayerful manner. I think uh, I think prayer is. There's one way we all think of praying, and that's kind of telling God um, what's on our mind, and that's obviously good and right. But there's also prayer that just kind of allows God to open the space. And I find he often ignites my imagination just if I let him do most of the talking. I think that's, I mean, from the pastoral voice, that's, that's one of the main ways that that can happen. But um, I, I also have thrived so much on fiction and just story in general. Mm. Whenever I, you know, read or listen to story with like a Christian perspective, not always mm-hmm. listening to be like, well, is this right or wrong? But kind of just letting it um, like give me imagination to see what I often don't see that mm-hmm. that's for me, that's really helped. And I, I think I remember it was C.S. Lewis who 
um, said that reading George MacDonald's works baptized his imagination. Mm. So something's like that kind of happens for me too, I'd say. And what about you, Chelsea? Yeah. Recommendations. Yeah. I really love the phrase of baptizing our imaginations. I think that's a, that's a beautiful image that just helps me get it. Um, and I think sometimes we need those images to actually help us get truth. Like you can't communicate it any other way than through that image. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so I, yeah, just kind of piggybacking off of what Pastor Brandon said of, you know, some uh, submerging ourselves in the word and in um, prayer and in um, just those truths. I think one, there's the concept of feeding ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. So to col- cultivate our imagination, we want to actively pursue truth, goodness, and beauty. So that means what we take in, in terms of like books and movies and plays and music and art. And I think it's important, especially thinking of this as, as a teacher um, and as someone who would like to have children one day as surrounding ourselves with beautiful things, which isn't the same as expensive. Mm. Um And that's one reason that, you know, in my classroom, even though I teach English, I tried to find some beautiful classic artwork to put up, not just English posters. Um, I think that our everyday things. So if we are like little mini creators, um, to borrow Tolkien's subcreation idea, then we do things maybe in a beautiful way. Um, And I've just noticed this a lot recently with my um, siblings. Um, They are, our family is a family of people who likes to make things. And it may be something, you know, really artsy. So like a a beautiful drawing or painting like my sister does. Um, But she also loves to cook. And so she's um, making something um, kind of in the way that the Lord likes to make. He likes to create, um, imitating that and practicing it. And of course, as human beings, we're going to... um, maybe fail, but continuing to pursue and nurture that. Um, homemaking, I see that a lot with my mom. Um, some of my siblings, they play music or I've been trying to grow vegetables and that's really teaching me something. Um, it's giving me one more image for understanding the way that the Lord works. Um, my brothers are often, you know, building things, um, whether it's shelves or bookcases or, you know, just whatever. And I think discussing ideas, just like we're doing right now, that Mm -hmm. sharpens our imaginations as well. And I think listening and watching. So um, I know all of that kind of sums up as to just, well, live. Um, (laughs) But honestly, I can, I can, I was thinking about this earlier Um, In my writing classes and in the books that I've read, um, a lot of them by Christians on how to write well, what they tell you to do is to to live your life um, and to, of course, draw close to the Lord and to be in community with other people um, and pay attention to to who the Lord is and to who people are. So, yeah. So essentially do a lot of watching and a lot of listening. Yes, Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, yeah, I want to second that Chelsea paying attention is huge. I think that's great advice. And I think that if we were to take, uh, take some of those recommendations, I think we're definitely setting ourselves on, on the path to cultivate our um, imaginations. And that's really what a goal that could be for us as, as a church to have mature, redeemed imaginations. I think it could be a great benefit to the church as a body and for those outside of the church. Well, Pastor Brandon and Chelsea, thank you so much for our discussion today. It's been a great blessing to me, and I hope to have you guys on the show again soon. 
All right. Thank you. It was a pleasure to get to hang out with you guys. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really, really value this discussion we had. Well, this closes our time for the Stage and Story podcast. I'm Dane Bundy, your host. Thank you so much for listening today and just want to encourage you to check out our website, stageandstory.org, for more resources on cultivating the Christian imagination. Now, may Christ be the center of all our thinking and imagining. See you next time.